20 minutes a day, 365 days a year. This is the Pack a Day Podcast. Hello, everybody, and welcome to episode 411 of the Pack-A-Day podcast. My name is Andy Herman. I am a writer and editor for Packer Report, brand new gig, so make sure to follow me over at Packer Report. A lot of great team members uh, that we have from the Pack-A-Day podcast that are joining us over there, uh, Jacob Westendorf, Jake Morley. Uh, we've got uh, Ross Uglum, of course, who's running the show, uh, Zach Jacobson, and then, you know, friend of the show, Peter Bukowski. So we've got a lot of great people that are helping us on the Packer Report, uh, brand new gig. So make sure to check us out over there. Of course, you can always follow me on Twitter at Andy Herman NFL. I've got a very big show lined up for you today, t- taking some uh, looks at some of the big takeaways from week one action. Uh, a couple notes from Packers Bears that stood out to myself and my guest. And uh, a quick look ahead to Packers-Vikings as well. But to help me break this all down is a contributor for Cheesehead TV, co-host of Cheesehead TV Live and the Packer Pulse, plus, of course, our very own Pack-A-Day podcast. Joining me today is the one and only Jason Perrone. Jason, how the heck are you doing? I'm doing good. It is probably a good thing that there is the one and only of me. Thanks for having (laughs) me on, Eddie. No, that's uh, that's amazing. We we love having you here on the podcast. I know you're still uh, relatively new to the team, but you've been crushing it. You're going to be on every single Saturday now, which uh, I know I'm super excited about. Uh, but yeah, just uh, happy to have you. Happy to have you on with me tonight. And this this was opening day uh, NFL, of course. Now we got to sit back, kick back, and relax a little bit more and enjoy this because, of course, Packers beat the Bears Thursday night. But this is the first full Sunday slate of action. We had a lot of great games, a lot of entertaining action, a lot of big performances. Let's get started right away, though, in the NFC North. We had two big games. The Vikings beat the Falcons 28-12. to The Lions tie the Cardinals, kind of choke that game away a little bit. We'll get into that one in a second, but let's start with Vikings and Falcons. What were some of your main takeaways from that game? And uh, we'll, we'll get to Vikings-Packers a little bit later and how this kind of transitions into that, but just flat out Falcons and Vikings today. What was your takeaways? Well, it's week. Well, I always kind of put a star next to week one because a lot of weird things happen and it's hard to really glean what teams are going to be but you it's hard to ignore what Dalvin Cook did I mean they gave him 21 carries he got over 100 yards he scored two touchdowns so fantasy owners are happy he had a great day on the ground this is the kind of day that I think the Vikings envisioned when they drafted Cook so I mean obviously their offensive line is a little bit more porous and I know that Garrett Bradbury had a few issues today at times, but that's also a good look for the offensive line. Even if, if they aren't great, they handled some business today. I mean, Dalvin Cook made probably made him look good, but that was the biggest thing for me. And then obviously in the passing game, nothing too flashy, but obviously Stephon Diggs, Adam Thielen, still a duo that is, is going to be terrorizing the league this year. And the Packers are going to obviously have to prep for quite a bit in, in a little less than a week's time. Yeah, and that that was uh, one of the disappointing aspects of, of the, you know this game from a Packers standpoint is I was really hoping so Green Bay of course has a couple major advantages going into this game you know they've get the of course the extra few days to prepare they get an extra few days of rest of course it's going to be a home game in Green Bay uh, so there's some some built in baked in advantages that Green Bay already had I was really hoping that this Falcons Vikings game was going to be a you know a, a real game that went to the end that they were fighting back and forth that. 
Uh, maybe the Vikings defense had to play, you know, 75, 80 plays. Uh, and this was nothing of the fact at all. In fact, the 28 to 12, uh, you know, scoreline probably does it a little bit more justice than the Falcon to the Falcons than what this game actually was. The Vikings only ran 49 total plays on offense, which is a ridiculously small number. And then to add on top of that, Kirk Cousins only threw 10 passes. He was 8 of 10 for 98 yards and a touchdown. So like you said, this was a Dalvin Cook performance. This was a performance that it did not take their offense a ton of effort. Anthony Harris ended the game with two interceptions. Matt Ryan did not play well. The Falcons did not look like they came ready to play this game. So it was, from a Packers standpoint, disappointing that this wasn't closer and they give the Vikings a little bit more of a challenge. However, the last thing I'll say in that regards is sometimes when you don't have a game that puts up a ton of a fight and then all of a sudden you get to a game that it does put up a fight it can kind of knock you in the mouth a little bit and it kind of takes a little bit of adjusting to uh, like you know we'll get to the Ravens game in a second it's probably going to be a little shock to the system when they're playing anybody besides the Dolphins next week so hopefully the Vikings maybe put it on cruise control a little bit uh, based on uh, how easy it was against the Falcons and the Packers can take advantage of that but uh, disappointing performance for the Falcons for sure. Yeah, it was, and again, it's week one, so you never know what's going to happen. I still, there's still some out there that I think believe that the Falcons have a chance to win that division, which is really interesting, given that the Saints did as well as they did last year. So the NFC South is going to be one to watch. You know, Tampa started out okay; their defense looked okay. Uh, Jameis Winston had a tough day throwing the ball, so that was a little bit of a concern. And then Cam Newton and the Panthers actually made it made a charge late against the Rams. You know, that game looked like it could get out of hand quickly, and the Rams started running away with it on the road in their opener. But the, the Panthers made a game of it, and it came down to, uh, I think, a differential of only three points. So that's going to be a fun division to watch for sure. Yeah, I totally agree. And uh, not a great start for the Falcons, but like you said, take everything with a grain of salt. Only one week, and a lot can change uh, <laughs> over the course of a full season. Uh, but speaking of uh, you know week one and how things can change quickly, Lions and Cardinals. Lions have a 24-6 lead with 14-47 left in the fourth quarter, so basically start of the fourth quarter. They had a 24-9 lead with just under six minutes to play, and they end up tying this game up, or the Cardinals end up tying this game up 24-20. Four, uh, with 43 seconds left, touchdown pass to Larry Fitzgerald, and then they convert the two-point conversion. They exchange field goals in overtime, and it ends up being a tie game. We end up with a tie game in week one uh, for the second year in a row. Uh, but what were your takeaways from this game, Jason? This was an interesting one. So I'm here in the locale. I'm in the Phoenix area, so I'm going to hear plenty about it on the local news. There's a lot of buzz around Kyler Murray being the first overall pick, and then the questions about whether or not he's going to be able to function in an NFL offense. What he did in college isn't a lot of what they do in the NFL. And then Cliff Kingsbury comes in. Josh Rosen gets sent to Miami. All sorts of things and storylines. And then you've got the Lions that are coming in. And, and both of these teams weren't expected to be very good. And, of course, out of the gate, the game went about as as you thought it might go. The Lions, with a little bit more experienced quarterback, 10-year veteran Matt Stafford comes out, has a good game. They start putting up some points. I think Mike Daniels made a few plays, former Packer there, as a Packers angle to that game. And then the Cardinals turn it on in the fourth quarter, and all of a sudden they just unleash Kyler Murray. He starts running around and starts throwing it and making some plays. Uh, it, it, this was a really, really strange one. This was a very typical week one game that who knows how this goes if it's midseason or late season. But 
I don't think, you know, the way that Kyler Murray was playing initially, there were a lot of questions and everybody's really quick to react and, and throw somebody, you know, under the bus if they're playing poorly right away or, you know, laud them if they're playing really well. I mean, everyone's got Lamar Jackson winning the MVP now, and I'm sure Baker Mayfield's going to get cut next week, you know, based on the way <laughs> they played today. But it was it was it turned out to be a fun game to watch. And fortunately and selfishly for me, because it was on in the local market here and that was really all I had to watch. It ended up being worth worth the time. Now, unfortunately, the game ended in a tie. And that's a whole nother topic that we don't have time for today that I'm I you know, it just I'm not a huge fan of. But the fact that it ended in a tie, you know, I think the Cardinals probably, you know, a little bit of a moral victory here, even though it doesn't show up on the stat sheet because it definitely could have been a loss. And the Lions obviously have some work to do. They're probably pretty disappointed. Head coach Matt Patricia coming from that Patriots background, probably not too thrilled with with seeing his team losing a big lead in the fourth quarter like that. But that's Andy. That's the NFL today, man. It's it's sometimes it turns into the laser light show. Yeah, and that's kind of not the NFL today, but also kind of the Lions for a long time now. They they kind of seem to, uh, you know, uh, get, uh, you know, defeat or a tie in, in the jaws of victory sometimes. It's just totally crazy uh, sometimes what happens to them. But uh, I thought this was absolutely a as much of a moral victory as you can have in the NFL. This definitely was for the Cardinals. I think you hit that on the head. Uh, but what I'll say is that was a massively important fourth quarter. Uh, you've got your rookie first round pick. You've got a brand new head coach. Coach. Things were not going well. Only six points through the first three quarters. Things didn't. Things definitely weren't looking great. The Lions had a, a complete stranglehold on that game, and uh, to really kind of come back and rally yourselves, rally the crowd, get everyone back into it. They actually took the lead in overtime. They had a really good chance to win that game. Uh, they were down, you know, I want to say down like the five to eight yard line, somewhere like that in the for in the overtime. Um, but you know, this was a, a very good comeback. I think. I think sometimes, you know, hearing a team choke something away is a little bit ridiculous because, uh, you know, that's why you play a full game. Sometimes people do really well in one half and other team does really well in the other half. And it's just kind of happenstance that one's in the first half and one's in the second half. And it's why you play the full game. But this definitely felt like a game that Detroit had multiple opportunities to win and just couldn't close the deal. So uh, a, a, a tough tie uh, for Detroit and a, a kind of good tie for the Cardinals. It's kind of weird how that works. This feels like a Cardinals win and a Lions loss, even though they both end up on the same you know side of the stat sheet or the, the record sheet, I guess I should say. Yeah, and it, who knows what's going to happen? I mean, the Cardinals are probably going to be pressed just because of the, the talent that they have on this. I mean, you know, hail Mary to Larry. You know, hail Mary to Larry is probably not going to be an, a sustainable offense for an entire season. They've got Patrick Peterson out half the season with his suspension. There's just some things that they, they're still building and working on. There's only so much they can do in one draft, but they've got to be encouraged with what they saw today, at least offensively with a new head coach and what, how they can fight back. And, you know, some of those things build, and maybe they come out and surprise and win a few more games than they should. The Lions, obviously, we as, as Packers covers and fans have to hope that the Lions don't get too high on anything that they did today. I mean, I'm sure they're probably, like you said, getting on the plane, going back, feeling like it, almost like it was a loss because they had uh, they had that game in the bag or at least should have and then lost that lead. So, But two teams that, that were exciting to watch and, and, again, in week one, there's always a couple teams that get, get sneaky and sneak in there at the end. You never know who they're going to be. I don't necessarily see Arizona being that team. Detroit maybe could surprise us. I'm not quite sure that's the case. But if if it does or if they do, we can all look back to this week one game and say, well, that might have been where, where it started or what the catalyst was for that season. 
Yeah, a really great point. And last thing I'll say, TJ Hawkinson, huge game for the Lions. I think they have a a really big weapon there and something to take away. And, and Kyler Murray, you touched on it earlier, but I really like the way that he performed in that fourth quarter. And I saw some serious signs out of that offense. Now, uh, it, it should look good, you know, ho- hopefully a little bit out of the gates before uh, there's a ton of tape on it and, and teams have the ability to counter it and kind of same thing to an extent of Kyler Murray. But liked a lot of what I saw out of that combination. And I think they're going to continue to grow going forward. And they've at at least piqued my interest a little bit and I'm excited to see where things go from here for Arizona. Let's go over some other interesting outcomes right away. Browns get blown out by the Titans that, you know, I don't think many people saw coming Ravens blowing out the Dolphins. I think that was probably a little bit more predictable with what's kind of been going on in Miami. You know, anytime you trade one of the the team's favorite players, just a a week before the season starts and uh, make some really questionable decisions. You know, this team, I don't know if they quit week one, but there's already rumors of of players wanting out of Miami and talking to their agents. So we'll see what comes of that. But, oh, by the way, uh, they get to play the uh, Patriots next week. So good luck to the Dolphins with that. And then uh, Bills come back and beat the Jets 17 to 16. So that was a little bit of an interesting result from there. But uh, those were three that uh, I kind of took away. Any notes from those three games or anything else that stood out to you? So, Andy, I don't know if you you read the ESPN simulator last week did you happen to see that i did not so that they ran simulations on the season and they ran it it was like a several hundred simulations and and they had the dolphins starting out eight and two somehow and they i think they won they had them winning their first like four or five games and and one of them was beating new england in week two and just some crazy things they had that name you know on the on the packers side of things they had the packers starting out eight and oh they were the last undefeated team and they were the first to 10 wins so hey who knows but i mean yeah the dolphins that that was that was a bad performance all around i mean i i i think that was just as much miami playing very very poorly as it was Baltimore maybe peaking out and maxing out. I don't know if Lamar Jackson's ever going to put up the kind of numbers that he did uh, today. I mean, 17 of 20 for 324 yards and five touchdowns. I mean, that's that's kind of Peyton Manning, Denver Broncos, you know, maybe even Aaron Rodgers-esque. Uh, so that was that was kind of an anomaly there. But, you know, Brian Flores, tough debut there as Dolphins head coach. And, yeah, he's facing his old team, the Patriots, next week. So that's going to be tough. Cleveland, we can pile on all we want here. I think the Browns losing. Now, it was a home game. and I, But I think the Browns losing in week one, they're a team that I could absolutely see come out next week and flip the script completely and look just absolutely phenomenal. So I'm not going to give up on the Browns. You know, I, I, don't, I don't think there's, there's any issues there yet. I mean, we'll see. Now, the problem is if they lose next week, they start 0-2. And I think since 1990, there's only been less than, there's been 27 teams that have gone to the playoffs after starting 0-2. So those hopes that those fans have and those players probably have are probably going to be a little bit challenged. And then as far as Bill's Jets, I think that's the AFC equivalent of, of Lions Cardinals today. That, that was a game that against two teams that have struggled for a long time, divisional matchup, it ended up being an exciting one. But um, I didn't really watch too much of that. So as far as the takeaways there, I mean, if you just look at the the stat sheets here, not not a whole lot really stands out from it. Um, I will say uh, it looked like uh, Ed Oliver had a had a fairly okay and decent uh, debut for the Buffalo Bills as a guy that I know a lot of Packers fans wanted. But that's about all I saw out of those particular contests that was of note. 
Yeah, I think you make a, a ton of great points there. Uh, you know, from a Ravens standpoint, I, I noted, pr- you know, prior to the game, one of the things I was going to really keep an eye out for uh, was how they were going to do this, you know, kind of rushing attack with Lamar Jackson. It seemed like they were going to run, you know, maybe some option looks, made a lot of pistol looks, you know, it looked like they were going to come out and, and run a, a, a really unique offense, you know, from all, you know, that we kind of saw in preseason and from all we heard from uh, some of the practices, it looked like this was going to be a, a really interesting offense to watch because of that. And it was a really interesting offense to watch, but not because of any of that. This was Lamar Jackson coming out and, and throwing the ball all around the field. And like you said, this was Miami. This was a team uh, that uh, is in a very interesting situation. It, from all intents, you know, the players, the coaches, they're not tanking, but this front office put them in a great position to tank the season um, and, and and not win a ton of games. So we'll see what happens with the Ravens going forward. But that was a really fun start for that offense, especially with Hollywood Brown. Uh, and, and some of the things that he was able to do to open up that offense. So that was fun. I'm totally on board with you. I think the Browns are going to be just fine. I think this maybe was uh, probably a decent wake-up call that they needed, uh, you know, for all the expectations that they had. You know, we we saw magazine articles that labeled them a potential juggernaut. Um those things don't just happen overnight. You know, those take a lot of time and effort and energy. And I, I you know, that's a, a franchise that's got, you know, the right front office. It's got the right head coach. It's got the right quarterback. Uh, they'll get things together. Their defense will play a lot better, you know, going forward than what they did today. Baker's not going to throw, you know, three interceptions on back-to-back, I think to back uh, drives, including a pick six. So, um, you know, th- that was a rough game for them, but I definitely think they'll bounce back. And then uh, if anything from Bill's Jets, these are two uh, equally matched teams that aren't, you know, ready to, to threaten the upper echelon of the NFL yet. Could have gone either way in, in both of them at, at times seemingly did more to lose than they did to win. But uh, Bulls, uh, Bills pick up a, a big come from behind victory down 16 to nothing. And uh, Vedvik, the, the kicker uh, who uh, was, you know, Ravens and then Vikings and now the Jets misses an extra point, misses a field goal and really probably put Potentially loses them the game because of a lot of that. So, uh, like you said, uh, a lot of interesting outcomes there, and uh, I think all three of those, uh, you know, victors will, you know, get a, obviously a step in the right direction. But uh, and good win for the Titans. You know, don't take anything away from them. That was a very impressive defensive performance. But again, we go back to the fact of a lot of season left, a lot of a lot of games to play. Vedvik was a, a player that the Packers reportedly were interested in trading for. I guess we're probably glad that that didn't happen. I mean, you know, then he ends up with the Vikings. It's like, oh, man, are they going to finally fix their kicker woes? We don't want to see that happen as Packers fans. He could turn it around. I mean, Daniel Carlson looks like he's kicking fine now, and I thought it was interesting last season when the Vikings gave up on him. I was like, he's probably the kind of guy that's going to bounce back and have a decent career. This is going to be like an anomaly game that fortunately just didn't sink the Packers and ended up losing the game for them. That was the unfortunate tie in Week 2 of 2018, but... Yeah, the kickers, the, the kickers are a story already. I think Adam Vinatieri had another rough day today, the very seasoned vet. So the kickers are, are going to be a thing again, I, I think, in 2019. Yeah, I, I totally agree. There was a lot of missed extra points and field goals. And, uh, you know, I, I, ever, it seems that ever since they moved the extra point back and made that part more challenging, that kickers in general, just even the, the field goals, even the simpler field goals and uh, things like that, it just seems that everything became more challenging. And I don't know if it's because they don't get as many chip shots to gain the confidence that they used to, just seeing the ball go through the uprights on an automatic extra point every now and again. I don't know what it is. And, and maybe it's just in my head and maybe the numbers don't match up with it at all. 
well. But to me, it seems like ever since they moved the extra point back, just kicking in general has has been worse. But uh, well, maybe I can, maybe somebody can do a deep dive on that either for Cheesehead TV or Packer Report in the near future, so we can take a look at it. But uh, I did want to go over some other big performances uh, today. I'll, I'll start with the the non rookies, and we touched base on some of these already. Lamar Jackson, seventeen of twenty, three hundred twenty four yards and five touchdowns. Carson Wentz thought he had a really nice game and a come from behind victory over the Redskins, 28 of 39, 313 yards and three touchdowns. And a big piece of that was another big performer in Deshaun Jackson, who had eight catches, 154 yards and two touchdowns and looked like prime Deshaun Jackson today. Christian McCaffrey, dude is total stud, 19 for 128 on the ground, two touchdowns, and then another 10 catches for 81 yards receiving. Uh, Pat Mahomes, 25 of 33, 379 and three touchdowns. Kind of a a whole hum game for him, as crazy as that is to say. Uh, Tried another no-look pass today. Unfortunately, on this one, he totally airmailed Travis Kelsey, who was wide open in the end zone. But uh, I guess kudos for trying it. Uh, Sammy Watkins was a a huge benefactor there uh, of Mahomes' game. And that was uh, nine catches, 198 yards and three touchdowns. So, you know, when Sammy Watkins got drafted in the top 10 overall, uh, what what people envisioned was the Sammy Watkins we saw today. He was an absolute stud. Uh, Marlon Mack, 25 carries, 174 yards and a touchdown, ran really hard and really kept the, the Colts in that game with the Chargers. Uh, John Ross was the one that kind of came out of nowhere. He looked fantastic today. Uh, seven catches, 158 yards and two touchdowns. And then Dak Prescott, 25 of 32 405 and four touchdowns. My one takeaway, uh, and we'll get to uh, Hollywood Brown in just a second too when we get to the rookies, but maybe this is the year of the the small, fast receiver. Now, unfortunately, Tyree Kill went out injured, but you start getting John Ross and Deshaun Jackson and Hollywood Brown uh, putting up those numbers, and and maybe, just maybe, this is the year of the, the small, tiny, super fast wide receiver. Yeah, it could be. It was it was interesting to watch a lot of those games today because the speed is the thing, you know, and those guys are obviously the reason that they're there isn't because they've got that huge frame and they're not the jump ball guy, but they bring the speed. I mean, even Randall Cobb today, you know, resurrects himself and has a great day for the Cowboys, former Packer Randall Cobb. You know, these the the slippery type guys are the reason why teams are bringing more defensive backs and putting more defensive backs on the field. That's why the the pure 4-3 and 3-4 defenses have gone away. You know, John Ross did look. He looked great today. I, I watched a little bit of that game. You know, a lot of these guys are are going to factor into what their their teams are doing. And you know, if you get the if you get the right offense going on, I mean, I'm even watching a little bit of the Patriots and Steelers game before we started recording. And and you look at at the schemes. If you can get these guys in space and get the ball in their hands, I mean, obviously it doesn't matter. And sometimes that's that lower that you know lower center of gravity and that smaller. Uh, height and and size can be a little bit of an advantage when you've got all these big lumbering guys trying to tackle them. So I think you you know there may be something to what you're saying, Andy. I mean I think we we look at this again in week eight and let's take a look at how some of these shiftier guys are doing. But you know you mentioned uh, McCaffrey, man, what a day! 130 yards, 19 attempts, two touchdowns. You know he's and they're gonna, the Panthers are going to need him. You know because they've you know they've lost a little bit of of talent and, and Cam Newton changed his throwing motion and he's had some injuries and for him to step up like that, I know they fell a little bit short against the Rams, but that was that was a really good performance for me. I mean I think if you look at the contribution that all these guys made to their teams, if you throw Baltimore out, especially you know obviously because of of the day that they had and and the, the Dolphins' performance, I think Christian McCaffrey might have been the guy of the day, just just based on what he contributed to what the Panthers did. 
Yeah, he was, like I said, just an absolute stud. He's so fun to watch. Uh, and, and I want to touch base on a couple of things that you mentioned as well. Uh, you know, first of all, the, the, going back to the smaller wide receivers and how they're impacting the game, uh, you know, we're seeing teams that want to open up the, the field, not only vertically, but horizontally as well. And some of these receivers who can, you know, run on the jet sweeps and go in motion and, you know, the bubble screens, and it's just speed that can get you from anywhere on the field. And I think Tyreek kill is really the one in the last couple of years that kind of changed the name of the game a little bit. Of course, we've seen, you know, players like Brandon Cooks, you know, Deshaun Jackson's been doing a lot of this for a while, but I think we're going to see more and more of uh, Hollywood Brown, even a, a guy like Christian McCaffrey, where you we weren't talking to him in this regard, but some of the things that he can do as both a receiver and a running back. And again, some of the jet sweeps, the motions, like getting him vertically on wheel routes, like it's just these type of players that are opening up offenses. And then the other thing that you said of course, you know, you are seeing defenses more and more, uh, you know, go predominantly nickel, predominantly dime, six, you know, defensive backs, uh, you know, sometimes even more. But if I hear one more article in the offseason or one more person talk about, you know, what if they're running a 4-3 or a 3-4, like it's so insanely irrelevant in this day and age. Like they play legitimately like a handful of snaps in a base defense like that, that like that's the new goal line defense basically is your 4-3 or 3-4 defense like this is a hybrid you know defense that's going to use a ton of different players in a ton of different positions we saw Raven Green uh, what he was able to do and bring his versatility versatility as a safety linebacker you see um Zadarius Smith as a player who can play outside and inside, the more versatility that players can bring on defense, the better. And the more of an amoeba that you can be on defense, switching positions, going from a heavy set to a, a, a smaller set, you know, being able to defend the run, but also defend five and six receiver sets. Uh, versatility is the name of the game and four, three and three, four no longer matters. Yeah, I think there's something to that. And I'm not a big, big X's and O's and scheme guy like like some of you guys are that do great film work. And and that's one thing that I want to, you know, I take an opportunity to congratulate you on the Packer Report and, and some of the contributions over there, because that's going to elevate that publication to the next level. I mean, you think about some of the guys that have been been through there and contributed to that and what they're doing now. You know, that's that's a huge credit to all of you guys. But I, I yeah, I mean, it's 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 a, it's an ever change. I mean, at this point, I think we should probably just change the names of defenses or just stop giving them names. You know, I mean, a lot of, a lot of it really depends from game to game. What I'd really like to see is, and I think hopefully the Packers will do this is you got a game plan week to week, kind of like what new England does. I hate to use them as an example. Cause I just, they get so much credit, you know, pub as it is not like there, you know, they, there was nothing exciting going on with the Patriots this weekend. It's not like anybody was talking about them at all. Right. So, right. you know, but, but yeah, I mean, I, I, it's a week to week league. And I think if you're scheming up week to week, then your your defensive approach should be a little bit different. Like you said, Andy, there should be no mention of a three four four three or even a- anything like that. I mean, it's 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 going to morph and change because obviously, if you think about it, you know when you're when you're taking on a you know if you're if you're the Detroit Lions and you're playing the Arizona Cardinals, you're going to defend Kyler Murray in that offense one way, and then all of a sudden you you get in a game and and you're taking on like a Chicago Bears or you know a different type of team or a team with a quarterback like uh, even the Vikings where Kirk Cousins isn't as mobile, you're obviously not going to have the the same approach to it. So yeah, I'm I'm with you. I think everybody should just kind of chill on the labels. Um, but I think it's it's going to be exciting to see how the league tries to catch up with everything that's going on. You still got. Kyle Shanahan, Sean McVay, you know, these the offensive geniuses, hopefully Matt LaFleur becomes one. Everyone's trying to keep up with those guys. That's the fun of it is watching the tweaks and what everybody does 
to try to defend some of these other uh, more quicker and complex offenses. Yep, 100% agree, and I appreciate the kind words, and I'm glad you brought it up one more time because I think I forgot to mention that uh, Mark Eckel, Dusty Evely, and Jacob Westendorf, of course, also uh, huge fans, you know, huge members of the podcast are also going to be joining us over there, so uh, I was worried I was going to leave them out, so I thank you for the opportunity to bring them back up because they're going to be a huge part of what we're doing as well, and of course, all three are a huge part of us here at the Packaday Podcast, so, but again, thank you, thank you very much for the kind words, and very excited to be part of that team, and uh, it's just, it's, it's totally surreal, and at the same time, I'm just so excited to get started. So, uh, and, and I want to actually take the time just a second here too, just to thank everyone at Cheesehead TV. Um, I'm so excited that I'm going to be able to continue to put this podcast out on Cheesehead TV and continue that relationship because everyone at Cheesehead TV means so incredibly much to me um, and for giving me the opportunity that I've had there. So it was a, a very bittersweet uh, move for me because of uh, everything that's been going on with Cheesehead TV. And, um, you know, everyone at Cheesehead TV continues to push the envelope and come up with new content and it's just such an awesome group to be a part of so like i said my, my huge thing is i'm so excited that we're going to be able to continue to produce the podcast through there uh, while i make the transition again over to packer report so thank you so much uh, i do want to go over uh, a few of those big rookie performances uh, aj brown a receiver a lot of people had pegged potentially to the packers three catches for 100 yards Hollywood Brown, we touched on four catches, 147 yards and two touchdowns. Again, he completely opened up that game for the Ravens. Uh, Terry McLaurin, five catches, 125 yards and a touchdown. Gardner Minshew coming in for Nick Foles, 22 of 25 for 275 yards, two touchdowns and a pick against the Chiefs. That was a very impressive, uh, you know, backup performance uh, for a rookie quarterback. I was really impressed by him. We already touched base on Kyler Murray, 29 of 54, 308, two touchdowns and a pick. And then TJ Hawkinson, six for 131 and a touchdown. Any uh, any big rookie performances that stood out to you more than any other? So on another show that I do, Pulse of the Pack with Jake Westendorf, who's also one of our Pack-A-Day podcast colleagues, I said that it might not be too crazy to think that TJ Hawkinson might be a candidate for Offensive Rookie of the Year. And if he's going to play and be as effective as he was today against the Cardinals, then there's a good chance that he'll be at least in the conversation. You know, it's rare for a tight end to win that just because it's it's such a receiver, quarterback, running back league. But Hawkinson had a really, really good day. And then Hollywood Brown, uh, you know, he had a... Not only two touchdowns, one of them went for 83 yards. I didn't see it, but I would be really curious to see how much of it was air and how much of it was legs because he's got a ton of speed. And, and yeah, another name there that um, – that and, and I don't know how much he was mocked to the Packers. I mean, obviously there was a lot of talk about them getting a receiver – um, but uh, a great performance for him. He's going to have a really good career, and I think him paired up with Lamar Jackson is going to be be a really, really good uh, a good pairing there. And yeah, I did I did note AJ Brown. I mean, the the Titans had a really good day. They're kind of an interesting team that a lot of people tend to forget about. They kind of get buried in that AFC South because everybody you know talks about the Texans and the Jaguars had a good season, and then Andrew Luck used to be with the Colts, and the Titans have just kind of been hanging around there. But yeah, I'm going to be really curious to see how they do this season. And if Mar Marcus Mariota can stay healthy and and keep that whole thing going on there. But um, it's, that was pretty much it. I think you pretty much nailed it there. Um, you know, in Jacksonville, just really unfortunate for Foles to go down like that. I mean, you kind of were glad for him to get the opportunity to maybe become the starter and, and really take advantage of all of, of everything that he did for Philadelphia, including coming in and helping them win a Super Bowl 
two seasons ago, and then he suffers the unfortunate injury there. But, you know, I mean, with every door closing, another one opens up. So who knows? I mean, the Jaguars might have accidentally found their quarterback of the future. We'll, I mean, obviously it's week one again, but, but we'll see. Yeah, that was the that was the standout for me because I I liked all all of those other players coming out of the draft AJ Brown, Hollywood Brown, McLaurin, Kyler Murray, TJ Hawkinson. I really liked all those guys. You know, Gardner Minshew was a guy on tape who looked like you know a, a sixth or seventh round pick. I forget. I think they got him maybe fifth or sixth round, but uh, he he looked like that type of prospect to come in and have that type of day. Game one off the bench, not expecting to play. I mean, we talked about as as Packer you know reporters and Packer fans you know. A guy like that in the fifth, sixth round, that's Brett Hundley. Brett Hundley had three years to prepare for that situation coming into Green Bay, and he had trouble acclimating himself and getting ready for that position. So in game one of your very first NFL season, uh, to be picked in that type of round and, and come in and perform like that, that was a baller performance by him, and, and good good on him. And I know it ends up in a loss, but uh, that was, I think, better than anyone could have expected for a guy coming in fresh uh, in that type of situation. So kudos to him. Uh, of course, we touch base now on a couple of these injuries. Nick Foles, broken collarbone. Chris Lindstrom, possible fractured foot for the Falcons, uh, their first-round rookie guard. Tyreek Hill has a clavicle injury very similar to Jake Kumaro. And then from a Vikings-Packers standpoint coming up this week, Mackenzie Alexander dislocated his elbow, their, their cornerback, uh, dislocated his elbow uh, and is probably going to be out for a little while, at least you would think. Never want to speculate on injuries, but it uh, doesn't sound like a dislocated elbow would be something that you'd easily come back from. So definitely some uh, interesting uh, names, uh, you know, Tyree kill. That's going to be a big loss for the chiefs offense. Now, you know, granted they, they looked just fine uh, after, you know, he went out even against a pretty tough Jaguars defense, but that's a tough one to replace. And then, you know, like you said, with Nick Foles, just, you know, getting an opportunity to be the guy in Jacksonville, of course, they give him all that guaranteed money. Uh, they finally get somebody that's not named Blake Bortles to lead that team. You know, people had them as a, a pretty, you know, decent chance and potential, uh, you know, far in the playoff type performer if he performed up to expectations and then, you know, broken collarbone right away. So definitely some big injuries today. Yeah, and it, it is unfortunate. You know, I mean, even in the case of Tyree Kill, I know there's a lot of opinions on him based on everything that went on in the offseason. But it changes the dynamic of the teams and the seasons. And, and it's, you know, I'm kind of a purist, and it's one of those things where I'd rather beat an opponent at their full strength and with all their weapons and say, hey, we beat everybody that we that we, we planned for everything that we could. We didn't have any gimmies or any easier day because X or Y player was out. And, and obviously these guys put put their livelihoods on the line every day when they go out there and play. It's not like you and I and the rest of us that have office jobs or jobs that we do every day. We're probably not as, at the same type of physical uh, risk as a lot of these guys are. So, you know, for what they for how much it changes when they get hurt, because obviously then, you know, their salary changes. And if their season's over, that that really has, you know, financial implications. And I know I'm getting very granular with this whole thing right now. But, I mean, you pretty much nailed all the big injuries on the day. And I think I think you pretty much covered everybody that was hurt and how it's going to impact them. But it's just, it's just one of those reminders to fans of like, hey, you know, yeah, it might sound great because now your team has a better chance to win. But, again, it's it's people trying to provide for their families and and it's it's a tough game and it really made me appreciate too Andy the fact that the Packers uh you know I mean we'll find out more once they actually have to talk to the media and start 
putting some stats out this week, but it seemed like they got out of that game on Thursday night relatively healthy, which was really good to see because there were a couple guys that came out. I know Aaron Jones looked like he got poked in the eye at one point. You always worry about Kevin King, whether that's fair or not. You always worry about Kevin King, and so I'm glad that he came out of the, the game healthy. And you know, hopefully, fingers crossed, knock on wood, all the cliches, this is something that uh, that the Packers can sustain because watching some of these losses, especially the Foles with the Jaguars, you know, we've been through it as Packers fans. It's it's something that can really change your season in a blink, and and sometimes it's not for the better. Yeah, and if that is the case, and it certainly seems to be so far that Green Bay got out of that game relatively unscathed, let's not forget this is one of the toughest, most punishing games that they'll probably play all season. Like there, there were some big hits, things were going on in the trenches, like a lot can happen in a physical game like that. And if they came out of that unscathed, awesome. And then the other thing, how many times have Packer players gone into Chicago on that field and had injuries of, you know, various proportions because of that field in Chicago. So they got a tough road game out of the way uh, against uh, a really physical, very, very physical football team and, and got one of those games out of the way without having to actually hopefully have anyone go on the injured list or miss any significant period of time if that is in fact the case. And I also think, too, for a, a team that... Uh, doesn't play a ton of their players in the preseason. I'm always of the feeling that sometimes, uh, you, I, I totally agree with the philosophy, by the way, but I also think it can take the body a little bit getting used to playing 60 minutes. And I think you are more susceptible to, uh, you know, some tears in, in your body having all of a sudden to, you know, play 50, 60 snaps a game when you haven't done that in like uh, almost a year. So I think the fact that they got out of all of those things with potentially no injuries is one of the huge, huge takeaways from that game and is really icing on the cake to a big uh, divisional victory on the road. Yeah, it was a big win. And, and, you know, we talked about the injury piece as far as the game itself, you know, to see the Packers win a low scoring physical game on the road. When was the last time we saw something like that happen? And, and, you know, I, we've saw the defense step up and win them a lot of games. You know, they played well. They had, they had a couple of different seasons where they were really good. They were really good in 2014. They gelled obviously in 2010, they gelled, but they also had a really effective Aaron Rodgers. Well, in this game, Aaron Rodgers and the offense really weren't sinking. They weren't really moving the ball. The, the Bears defense really did a good job of stymieing the Packers offense. And maybe there was a little bit of that rust that was there. I know that everybody rolls their eyes and they get tired of hearing about it. But the reality is, is that when you don't play in the preseason, this is your first chance to run as an offense, even when you're familiar with the system. But in this case, the Packers running a completely new system for the first time together and trying to get their cadences down and all their timing you know, it really says something to how much the defense contributed to that win because the offense really didn't uphold much of their end of the bargain. You know, the other the other piece to that, too, you know, with them running running the offense and, and gelling um, with it all is it's you saw a couple times, too, that we're going to see some of the same issues that we saw in seasons past still rearing their ugly head. I mean, that's now Aaron Rodgers, you know, del delay of game not getting the snap off until the play clock is down into one or two seconds. Things that we were hoping would go away now with this new offense. Okay, they'll be sharper. They'll get the playoff quicker. And I think as the game wore on, they were much better with that timing. But now I think you're seeing that maybe some of that has to do with Aaron Rodgers and his preference and how he likes to set up the offense and, and how, how long he takes to diagnose the play. And I'm not saying it's a negative thing. I'm not saying that to be negative. I trust Aaron Rodgers 100% to run the offense. But I think that that's just a, a great reminder of, hey, look, there's going to be times when it's going to look a lot like what we've seen before because 
old habits die hard. It's still the way that he plays the game and runs the offense and quarterbacks the offense. You know, that was just that was just something that I kind of took away from it. But man, a physical game like you said, and to see the defense step up like that, I I'm only only more excited to see those guys come out and do some more work in these next couple games. Yeah, and I had a, a couple notes from that game as well. I haven't had a chance to talk about it on the podcast yet, obviously, since it just happened on Thursday. But uh, one of the things I noted in, in my first you know, uh, round of film breakdown was just how effective the, the corners and the defensive backs and the linebackers were at getting to the receivers, even on the completions. Of course, you know, we saw uh, some interceptable passes. Uh, you know, of, of course, we had the, the one interception and Kevin King um, you know, with Adrian Amos having the one interception, Kevin King almost having the other. Uh, but even on the plays that were completed, the, the corners or the defensive backs of the linebackers, they were right there either to contest it or they were there to make the tackle immediately after the catch. There was very little yards after catch for the Bears offense. Um, that was one of the huge takeaways for me from that game that I was super excited about. Um, and then I, I thought, you know, one of the, the things that I noted in my article, I, I took, you know, a look at the three biggest game-changing plays. And it was a play that didn't get quite as much publicity. Uh, but uh, one of the things that really stood out was the, the two plays before the Adrian Amos interception. Uh, there was an opportunity for Mitch Trubisky to hit Mike Davis on a little bit of an out and up. Uh, this was the play that hit Raven Green on the back of the hand. And maybe on first glance, you see some pressure. Um, you see Raven Green, it hit the back of his hand and you think, oh, you know, maybe we got away with one or, you know, maybe nice job by Raven Green for sticking with the ball. But this was a pressure simultaneously by Preston Smith and Rashawn Gary, where they get to the quarterback and make uh, Mitch Trubisky throw that short and make it hit uh, Raven Green in the you know back of the hand or whatever, instead of really being a completion for a touchdown to tie the game. Now, Adrian Amos was playing over the top. It probably would have been a little bit tight, but I think a good throw there uh, completes for a touchdown, and I think they have a tie game. So kudos to Preston Smith, who had a monster game. Rashawn Gary only had six snaps, but getting a, a stunt in there, and, and Dean Lowry really kind of held up uh, the guard so that Rashawn Gary could get in there on the stunt and, and hit the quarterback, and uh, it would have been probably more impressive for Gary if Preston Smith didn't actually beat him to the quarterback, uh, but huge play for them, and had it not been for those guys, I think you, like I said, would have had a tie game. I think that would have got the crowd really going, and, and who knows where things go from there. The Packers didn't show any ability to really move against the Bears' offense on that at that point other than really the the one touchdown drive which was due to a big play so uh, things could have gone in a variety of different ways had it not been for that play so again kudos to, to Preston Smith and Rashawn Gary there well and anytime a game is within one score the entire night then it, it easily could go either either way for sure but yeah I mean and as my counterpart as our our Packaday colleague and astute Michigan fan Jake Westendorf reminded me of today uh you know did Brian Burns generate pressure on one third of his snaps because Rashawn Gary <laughs> did. So two out of six, he was credited with two pressures, but that's, that's great. I mean, again, one week, one game, and we keep saying it over and over again, but this is, you know, until we get more of a sample size and we get more of an idea of what the tendencies and realities are, I think everything will regress to the mean eventually, but to see Rashawn Gary show up on the stat sheet like that is really good. And I think the Packers obviously are doing the right thing with him in terms of working him in instead of throwing him out there and making him a workhorse. You know, you get a fresher set of legs. He makes an impact on the game because everybody was all up in arms during the preseason. He played in every single game, at least the first three games. He didn't. He dressed but didn't play in the fourth and didn't show up on the stat sheet until late. And there wasn't a whole lot of flash from him, and it looked like he was a little slower lost at times. But when you're learning the pro game and you're also trying to 
keep yourself healthy and fresh. I mean, these guys come in and yeah, they're rookies and they should play hard and earn their way in and do everything they can to, to integrate themselves into the pro game. But they also have to be smart and they also understand, look, you know, I've, I've got to, I've got to last 16 games. They don't play 16 weeks in college. So this is the first time that they're going to put their body through that. You know, maybe they're getting a little bit of advice. Hey, look, yes, try hard put some film out there and, and a good film out there and get yourself some confidence, but you're going to be on this team. There's no reason for you to absolutely blister yourself in a preseason game. I think, you know, it looked, it, he looked good in the limited time that he was out there. And I'm, and I'm hoping that one of you guys does a little bit of a breakdown and can kind of ease everybody's nerves as far as how effective he's going to be. Because I, I think the way the Packers are using him and Mike Pettin, we should probably give some major, major props to Mike Pettin and a huge game ball, for the job that he did with that defense. And I think as dumb as it may sound, Andy, I don't know what you think. I think his being on the sideline was a great, great move. It's going to be a great change for the defense this year. Yeah, they certainly seem to enjoy having him on the sideline, especially at the end of the game, that's for sure. But uh, I don't think uh, anyone will argue with you that he gets the game ball and he was just tremendous. Uh, I noted before the game, my favorite matchup that I was watching going into that game was Mike Patton versus Matt Nagy, two incredibly uh, you know, creative minds who had an entire offseason to think up everything and uh, you know, really throw the kitchen sink at each other. And uh, you know, now we're on a opening game, primetime game, the world is watching. You you knew these two were going to throw the kitchen sink at one another. And uh, Mike Pettin massively came out on top of that battle. So that was super fun to watch. Uh, very last but not least, we're running a little bit low on time here, Jason. But uh, we're, we have all week for our entire team to really take a, a big, deep dive into this Packers-Vikings game. But what's maybe something that you're keeping an eye on as we, we start taking a look at this upcoming game? Well, the way that the Vikings ran the ball today, I know their offensive line doesn't get a lot of credit, but I'm, I'm really curious to see... What the Packers are going to? The Bears just couldn't get the run going. I mean, they they didn't really they didn't really get too effective there. And you know, so as far as the the run game of Chicago, I mean, they had uh, and and their rookie's name is escaping my mind at the moment, but they had a couple of uh, of really good backs. You got Tariq Cohen too that could have been a big weapon and a big contributor. I think Chicago got a little bit interesting with their play calling and bailed the Packers out a little bit with with some of their. Uh, with some of their play calls, but Dalvin Cook, how are they going to defend the run? Are the are the Vikings going to be able to run the ball and, and control the clock? Because if the offense is still sputtering a little bit on the Green Bay side of things, they're going to need time with the ball. They're going to need more time to score, and and they're going to need obviously more possessions. So the defense getting off the field and and stopping that the running attack. I mean, I mentioned Diggs and Thielen, and those guys are going to be a huge concern. And then you still have Kyle Rudolph at at tight end. But I've got a little bit of confidence in the secondary now, and I think they can keep up with those guys. I don't necessarily know if Atlanta's secondary is quite at the same level as Green Bay's. I think they were playing without a couple of their starters today, too. So the Vikings might have eaten a little bit more in Kirk Cousins. I think it's going to come down to stopping the run and imposing and make Kirk Cousins. If Kirk Cousins has to, has to throw the ball more than 40 times, I think that's going to be a good thing for the Packers. Yeah, I totally agree. And, uh, you know, my m matchup because of that is really, you know, really the, the Packers corners versus the, the Vikings receivers. But more importantly, uh, I think it's whoever Jair Alexander is matched up on. And I kind of have an inkling based off of how they, they guarded the Bears, uh, really having him take on Taylor Gabriel and then kind of more of a team effort against Allen Robinson. I have a feeling that maybe he's going to be matched up on Diggs and then they're going to match up King and maybe give him some help and uh, put Tony Brown and maybe give him some help against Adam Thielen. That would be my guess. 
but I think Jair Alexander really has to win his matchup, whoever he's against, uh, so that he can hopefully shut down one of those guys to allow the defense really to match up uh, maybe one or two guys in more advantageous situations on whichever one he's not matched up on because those receivers are ultra-talented. Um, I think at the end of the day, you kind of want Kirk Cousins to, to have to beat you rather than you know letting you know Dalvin Cook and uh, some of those things really take over. But uh, I think if they can you know hold the, the running game in check, and I think if they can, uh, and Jair Alexander can have a big day against who he's covering, I think that's going to make them a lot more predictable, and I think that's going to be a recipe for success. So that's what I'm going to be watching. Jason, this was fantastic. Any final notes for today? Yeah, Bears running back David Montgomery, since I obviously brain farted and didn't have his name. And I, I'm questioning myself because you had Ty Montgomery, the former Packers running back, or if you're Andy Benoit, uh, receiver slash running back slash 88, <laughs> 88 wearer. But no, this was great, Andy. Thanks for having me on. I'm really looking forward to all the analysis this week with with the Vikings. We'll miss you over at Cheesehead TV, but I'm glad we're, we're staying colleagues at Pack-A-Day. And go Pack Go! Yeah, go Pecco. Absolutely. Uh, that does it for Jason and I today. Um, well, before I actually go, Jason, where can we find your work? Uh, we know obviously we can find you on Cheesehead TV. Where can we follow you on Twitter? Yeah, on Twitter at Jason Perone. And I'm pretty active on there. So give me a follow. Would love to interact with some of the fans there. And I'm also on Facebook as well. Excellent. All right. You can follow me on Twitter at Andy Herman NFL. You can follow the podcast at Packaday Podcast. Make sure to check in tomorrow as Jake and Ross discuss the biggest storylines for Packers Vikings. But until next time, and as always, go Pack Go.